Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're talking with New York-based consultant and activist, Kim Ford. Kim has over 20 years experience working with grassroots, community-based, and national nonprofit organizations. Her work has been intergenerational. She's been engaged with the Third Wave Fund. The fund has been a leader in gender justice, a movement to end patriarchy, transphobia, homophobia, and misogyny. It ensures young women, queer, and trans youth of color have the tools and resources they need to lead powerful movements and that they have a seat at the table within philanthropy. She's worked with the Griot Circle a community-based, multi-generational organization serving LGBTQ elders of color. Her work has crossed boundaries. She's worked with many organizations, including FIERCE, Stonewall Community Foundation's Racial Equity Initiative, Funders for Lesbian and Gay Issues, and the Estrella Lesbian Foundation for Justice. She has worked with pioneering organizations and events such as African Ancestral Lesbians United for Societal Change, Zuna Institute, a national advocacy organization for black lesbians, New York City's first black pride, Arms Akimbo, New York City's first ever lesbian, bisexual, two-spirit, and transgender women of color organizing institute, New York City's People of Color Pride Weekends, and she served on the board of the Audre Lorde Project and as its interim executive director. Kim is co-founder of Beyond Bold and Brave, a black lesbian conference held in 2016 and 2018. She's also founder of Kitchen Table Giving Circle, a black African descent, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer women's philanthropic initiative. She has facilitated workshops, moderated and spoken at events, panels, and readings, presented on various topics, including organizing in the LGBTQ people of color communities, racism within the LGBT communities, women's health and wellness, and sexuality. Kim is now focusing her energies in a new direction, making a commitment to invest in herself. As a health and fitness coach, she uses her journey to assist and motivate others to find mind, body, and soul balance. Kim, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Um, well, thank you, thank you. That was that was a lovely introduction. I well, appreciate I, that. Thank you. 
Oh, you know, I mean, you have been, I mean, you're a busy lady. I mean, you've been, <laughs> you had your fingers in so many things. And I love that, the intergenerational part, because, you know, like, I think it's important that we, that you've gone everything from third wave where it's really investing in young women and who are queer, trans, and youth of color. But then also um, you've been involved with Griot Circle. And just like a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Andre Guess about, you know, the, uh, how, what they, the needs of our elder community. And it's like there's ways that there's an intersectionality, that they all work together. And I imagine from all the things that you've done, you've sort of seen that we need to be engaged almost from birth to, to our transition. Yes, we need to, um, and I think we are. I, I, think, mm-hmm. I think we are engaged. I think there are, even from the beginning when we first um, go to school, we're thinking, we're actually, we're not thinking, we don't know what we're in for, right, when we start school. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it, we are constantly trying to figure out our place, where we belong. I think that's lifelong. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's, and if we, if it doesn't quite fit, then we look for the places where we will be comfortable. And there was, I used to say that, you know, you have like other folks, like I'm on a journey to find myself. And mm-hmm. just recently, there have been quotes about, well, you're not lost, so you don't mm-hmm. have to find yourself. So it's more about going inside and connecting, reconnecting with who you are at your core at the root of yourself, reconnecting, doing that, that um, mind, body, and soul balance, as it were, to, to align yourself with who you are at your core, who, how you connect with yourself spiritually and connect with the world spiritually, and how you can do that uh, now. The children do it with their bodies all the time when they're playing, mm-hmm. when they show affection. There are things that they do. We, as adults, we've learned to not do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. go ahead. And you know what? And I think that the other part of it is is that you talk. You've been really engaged in philanthropy, and you know, like in philanthropy, mm-hmm. people often think of it like somebody writing a big check. But philanthropy also is part of us giving of ourselves, which I, mm-hmm. is what you were saying. You know, it's not always that dollars and cents. It's that us giving of ourselves. And, you know, I love that you were part of, you know, that those lessons often need to start around the kitchen table. I had a conversation just like last night with some people. We were talking about how back in the day, you know, how if someone came over, you served them food, you saved it. And I said, I remember my grandmother saying that there was always room at her table, and sometimes it meant that you just sliced it real thin so everybody got a piece of something. And my mm-hmm. aunt saying, yeah, sometimes you could almost, like, look through your piece of meat because my grandmother <laughs> sliced it. So, but, you know, that thought of philanthropy and that, that knowing about being in touch with your mind, body, and soul, often it begins at the kitchen table. This is true. And uh, the Giving Circle was named after, uh, with the blessings of Barbara Smith, after um, Kitchen Table Press because it, it is uh-huh. that. And uh-huh. my is, my introduction to philanthropy started with um, an organization, um, Women in Need, um, an organization that helps homeless women and their children. And at the same time, or around the same time, 
um, I had started, I was on the board of African and Social Lesbians United for Societal Change. And so it was kind of a dual process of how philanthropy works within a nonprofit organization. Um, and African and Social at the time um, didn't have a 501c3, but we had to pay rent for the space we were in. So we passed a basket every week mm. to mm-hmm. pay rent for that night. And we people knew what it was, and they put in money. And the rent at the time was, I think it was $25. And sometimes we made it, sometimes we didn't, no matter how many people were in the room. What I learned is that we didn't ask for money. We didn't say what it, we didn't ask, we didn't say what it was for. Once I learned that part of, part of philanthropy is asking, asking for what you need. Uh, and of those who aren't the usual suspects, right, because we've been doing this in our community. We've been do, when I realized passing that basket was akin to tithing, what happens mm-hmm. in, in religious institutions is the, ba- the baskets don't go around without an ask. Once we started saying, we're asking, okay, here comes the basket. The basket is coming around. Put whatever you can. We hope you can do this, but whatever you can put in is fine. This is what it goes for. We not only made the rent, sometimes we doubled it. And I'm mm. not saying, again, it, so the amount of money wasn't important. It was because we paid rent. But what was more important was it gave people a chance to really be a part of their community in ways they didn't think possible. And that no matter how small their financial contribution was, it mattered. And that's what led me to Kitchen Table, is how can someone be a part of philanthropy when it seems to be this big foreign thing, when we do it all the time? Like you were saying, like talking around a kitchen table, like a susu. There are things that we did to support each other and still do. So how do we support our organizations? And the other, it was also um, when I was working at the Australia Foundation because I was, def- I was in the development, on the development team in the fundraising department and working on the letters and working with people on events and individual donors and having to, do, having to call people and ask for money. So I got over my fear of asking and realized mm-hmm. that, Okay, so Estrella, which was at the forefront of funding uh, lesbians and queer organizations of color and oftentimes being the first funder, how do we do that for the organizations that don't have the 501c3s or in people that are, are trying to launch their project, artists, specifically black queer folk who were not, who didn't have access to those um, pots of money but needed the help and the recognition? And that's where it came from. And so, and I partnered with Estrella on it. Um, and my co-founder uh, was Karen, uh, Karen Sebastian. And so we went to Estrella and they were gracious and welcoming because it also helped them know who else is out there. So it was everyone benefited, including our grantees. So um, I still believe in philanthropy as a tool for helping us um, lift up and support our communities. But then, you know, you're involved in other things, too. And do you often see that? Because, I mean, I know people who are just like, you know, they're just working and they're doing it so hard. And that part of how to to turn around and ask for help, to mm-hmm. find 
philanthropist who would help them to find like-minded people who would, and they might ask them for everything else, but they don't go and ask them for, like you said, they pass the basket, but they never go on and say, like, we have a need for this, and to ask them for either their time, talent, or, or you know, or other resources. Do you find that that's, you know, something that you found that as you interact with people doing it, the other point that you, you try to, to help them develop or recognize that what they're doing is important and that there are people out there who would support them and find that voice? Yes, I was, after um, I left Australia, I was on their um, U.S. grants panel. And that meant that I was also reviewing uh, applications for potential grantees. And I found that in many of the conversations, there was work that they were doing that they didn't think they uh, could talk about or share. They were succeeding in ways that they thought wasn't enough to get funded for. And I was, and when I found this out, of course, and I presented my findings, um, you know, for for funding, and and I was I was uh, really honored to be a part of that, to say yes, this is the other work that they're doing, and did it again, and was able to do that on behalf of Third Wave, but also knowing that who Third Wave was funding were again folks who were on the outside of traditional mm-hmm. philanthropy, um, traditional foundation um, giving. Uh, so I wanted this to continue. I wanted this to um, help folks. Well, first I wanted the gift to be not something that they had to ask for or, requ- or had any requirement for, to know that it was out there. So that was the first, the first part, is that I would want you to know that this is out there, that your community supports you, and that you can go to your community for support. People are, I found that folks are, it's easier for folks to ask for volunteers to come help at an event, or it's easier to sell tickets to an event than to ask for, and it's, I think it's historical, right, that mm-hmm. we don't ask for help outside of our, our closest family members. So it feels like begging, because we, mm-hmm. we were taught not to beg. And if we, take, if we look at it as begging, then yes, we will always see, see it that way. But if we look at it as we're going to our community and being really honest, it's a healing takes place, I believe. A healing takes place because what you're doing is putting trust into the community you serve. There are people who want to give. And it's, it's not this um, sitting back and saying, well, you just need to ask me. If you, have, if you want to give and you have the, the ability to give, you should just do it. But if you don't feel welcome, you, there are so many people that don't feel welcome in communities to give because we praise the big donations and the big donors. Mm-hmm. We leave the people who keep our lights on, the small donors, the recur- these small gifts that come on a regular basis, they don't get the, as big a praise as that one big check. But these are the folks we need to talk to and lift up. And eventually, some of them will become, they can become your best donors, and they may be the ones willing to do the asking for you and do something small, like have a community gathering and do an ask. Um, so in every, even being on the board of the Audrey Lord Project and then being an interim is part of what I, I really like doing. I like doing the ask, but I also like helping mm-hmm. other folks feel comfortable in asking. 
because it was empowering. There is a healing in talking to your community and asking for what you need. And it's not, it's very much connected to the work that you're doing. It's very much giving people a chance to support the organizations that help them. People want to do this. It's around you know, if we look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder, you know, if there needs to be like a special training for people who are doing development, particularly working with, with communities of color. Because I know I went to an event that was for the organization serviced communities of color more than anything else. But at their big event, most of the attendees were white. And I, so I was talking to the development person who, who was sort of new at the game, and I said, you know, where are the black people? I mean, you know, we care about our kids. Where are the Latino? We care about our kids. How come we're not here? And he said, well, you know, he had said it. They had a goal of how much they wanted to do. So he just sort of went to the list of the top names. And they, they got that one-time check. But, you know, it's like what you're saying. They missed a boat to me. Like, you know, of here are these people. And in, in talking to some of the people who, who know, I would have expected to see there who were black person, I go, we figured they didn't need us. They don't come and ask us, you know. But then when mm-hmm. you talked about, but these are our kids. And of course they got. These are our kids. And of course they wanted to help in any way. And like you said, that small monthly gift makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, you know, a lot of the groups that you work with are, are, are for communities of color. Do you find that to, you know, how do you get, and I know Australia does a great job, but how do you get other ones to sort of say, to, to look at an organization and what they're doing for the community and make it like a community circle of giving? Well, I think, well, that was one of the things I found out is that um, people do giving circles, individuals do giving circles, and there are um, progressive foundations that have started giving circles of their own for that same reason. Uh, but they're also, again, we're talking about larger organizations. It's a hard thing for um, most nonprofits to, to, to set up and maintain uh, a giving circle because their, their resources tend to be um, stretched uh, a lot more. But there are events that can be had. Sometimes you need the big ticket events because you want those big donors to come in because those big gifts can get a program off the ground. But you also want to make sure you have events that are accessible for everyone at every level. So you have to be thinking about two kinds of events. And that's what I would always tell folks is that you need the big gala. You don't have to have it. Maybe you have it once a year. Maybe you have it every other year. But you need that big gala because it also is a celebration. You leave room for sliding scale or whatever else there might be uh, for folks to attend. And not working. It's not that you come and you can attend as a, as a volunteer for the night, but that you have uh, sponsored tickets. You ask people who can give, to give more, like we do with um, Beyond Bold and Brave. That's folks mm-hmm. to fund, to, I'm sorry, to fund scholarships. And organizations um, that I've been involved in for the most part have been doing that. So I always knew that was, that was an option. Uh, and so I think that's one of the ways is to really look at it. When you miss the boat, and here's the other thing I knew, is that there are those people of color who have the means to write the big check, but because you assume that they don't, their mm-hmm. money goes somewhere else, simply because some, 
They didn't ask them at that. It didn't ask them at a particular level. You assumed. Uh, you made an assumption about what they could do. Don't assume because we tend to be quieter about what we give and how we give. We don't tend to say. We don't put it on. I know there are folks that look at, look at invitations and look at um, annual reports and they want to see, but there are those of us that don't. So we want to be anonymous or we just, we just want to be invited. And you bring up a very good point because we just want to be invited even if we can't. We want to be invited and we want to know there's an entry. So maybe I can't this year, but maybe I can next year. Maybe I can't you know, buy a ticket to the event, but that you even ask me, shows that you thought about me and maybe now I can write a check in a different way or maybe I can spread it out over the year in some other way and become a sustaining donor. Now, it seems like, you know, you are, I, I love the fact that you're constantly doing things and, you know, and there's different things and you're, you're working, you know, you've done Zuna. I mean, you, you've been with Australia. You've been, and i and I haven't made it yet to Beyond Bold and Brave. It just hasn't worked out. But, you know, that, that, that thinking about doing that to bringing more people, like you said, to the table, to where we amplify our voices and we find connections to it. What drives you? I mean, where did you, what made you say that, you know, because many people are happy they get with one organization and they stay there from the beginning to the end and they call it a day, you know. But what drives you? What drives you to to be at all of these at these different things and to also open those doors so that other can, others can come and sit around the table? Um, I don't know if I had thought about it in that way. So that's a good question. I do have to think about that. I can. Um, that's interesting. I well, I think when I started, I so. I came of age in the 60s and 70s, so that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw movement. I saw action. I was, you know, there's a lot of things I saw that folks don't think about now, right? So I happened to be, if I was homesick, I saw, I saw events on TV. You know, you see, you know, ships taken off where you read about it and now you're actually watching it on TV, you know, in the 60s. Um, you know, and folks, you know, people of colors and black folks in particular, not just standing up, but taking power uh, in different ways. Books that I've read that I've been influenced by, um, from feminism to womanism, I think all of this has had an impact uh, Mm -hmm. in one way or another. Um, Even in high school, being part, going to a specialized high school like Stuyvesant High School in New York, and being part of the Black Student Union, so there was a black consciousness that was going on in the country at that time that I, that I, I was aware of. Um, mm-hmm. One of my aunts, one of my mother's sisters was involved in black theater here in New York. So we got to see, there were plays that we got to see. Like I remember, I, it's vivid, in my, even if I don't remember everything, seeing for colored girls in workshops. Mm-hmm. I mean, seeing things like this here in New York. So I think it was just felt like that's what you're supposed to do, right, in some kind of way you help people. Even in junior high school, my friends and I, where we lived, there was a little space on the side of the, the building, the complex that we cleaned up. 
Oh, actually, no, we did parties. We did parties at a time in the Bronx where there were, there were um, people were talking about the gangs, uh, mm-hmm. not like they are now, but they had territories. So we had basements in the complex, and we got permission to clean out a basement, which we did, and paint it. And I brought down um, my turntable and speakers. We did a party. We did basement parties. <laughs> we did basement parties. We, we charged at the door. We had said, leave your colors outside, which people did. They were all girls. There were no boys. So we, and we raised money to fix up this little yard for the little kids in the neighborhood. We didn't think about, it wasn't a forethought that we're going to start an organization. It's what we wanted to do because we were, we were a product of our times. We didn't have a community center. Like we weren't, this, we weren't a big complex to have stuff for kids. So, and we arranged, and in the summer we arranged to take the kids on picnics to the movies. We, so any money we had, we pulled the money and we got money together to, take, to do things for the kids in the complex that we lived in. We didn't think about it. I reconnected, so that was all through. I didn't think about it in high school and joining it. So it wasn't until mm-hmm. African Ancestral and I was an adult that I reconnected that. So it just happened to be a part mm-hmm. of something that was moving people forward. It's always, I think it's always been. If it comes from, I, I don't know, I just feel like it's always been, like connecting with, mm-hmm with uh, grandparents coming from Jamaica and South Carolina at a time where there was a lot of migration moving north and moving to this country. Um, I think it's just always been part of who I am. It, mm-hmm. You know, it ebbs and flows, but it's always been there. And I, can't, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I can't resist a good, a good um, effort. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like that line in The Godfather. Every time you think you get out, they pull you back in. <laughs> but but it is. It's like it's something that you, you know, it's just like you can't, especially if you know, like, you have an ideal or a thought or you've seen it, you know, because, like, it's like, folks, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we have to mm-hmm. keep the wheel rolling, you know? Yes. yes uh, mm-hmm. Well, Kim, we're mm-hmm. going to take our first break here, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. My guest today is Kim Ford. You know, Kim, um, I was talking to an Andre guest about the Griot Circle, and I have friends, I mean, and, and, you know, once we get that AARP card, you know, 
it's like a different kind of getting carded, you know. It's like, you know, I might not flash it all the time, but if there's that discount, boy, I break that, that sucker up. But, you know, I break that sucker up. But one of the things that I've noticed, like, that he talked about, that you talk about, and that I have friends who are of different generations that I hear them talk about, is, like, first of all, um, that sometimes as we get older, um, LGBTQ people in particular become isolated. Um, there's some who self-isolate. We hear many people who talk about, you know, well, because they don't know what it's going to be like if you have to go into a senior center or whatever, that some have gone back in the closet. But then you hear other people who have found ways of working intergenerationally where they sit and they, they talk with young people and they share ideals and they, they're doing you know, things together. What are, what are you seeing and how, is, how are you feeling in your life? I mean, are you feeling that, that need now to be just sort of like stay in your lane or are you including in your life people from all generations? Well, I'm, I'm always trying to include people um, from all generations. Uh, I would say, you know, I am more like my mother than I realized because she, <laughs> she has, and I realized it was true, right? We have friends who are anywhere, you know, like 10, 20 years younger than we are. Um, I love being around folks of different ages. I, when I was in my 20s, I would adopt uh, grandmothers. Mm-hmm. I would find people, I mean, I had my grandmothers that I loved sitting around. I love hearing, you know, their stories and what happened because this was my history. And I found the same with African ancestral, the same to be true for um, young uh, black lesbians. And actually, um, even moving through the LGBT community as an activist, finding that young folks, regardless, they want to know their history. They, they, not necessarily their family of birth history, but the, the, the history of people of color within, within the community, not necessarily movement-related, just everyday life-related, like how did you make it through? How did this happen? Um, how, who's telling our stories? And I'm beyond excited when I see what younger folks are doing um, in, in connecting um, because there was this whole generation gap is something that, was, that I kind of think was, it was true to a large degree, and I remember growing up, it's like, well, we don't have it in our community because everybody sits in the same room. We don't separate people. But I think it, that with, uh, the, with media, things have changed somewhat. So we do have somewhat of a disconnect. But in the, I've been blessed or lucky enough to be in spaces where folks have actively uh, worked against that, if that okay. makes sense. Um, One of my mentors, Candace Boyce, who was one of the founders of African Ancestral, always, always, always was always teaching all the time. Like I learned, I also learned a lot from her about how to be. I learned how to run groups from her because I didn't, I'd never done it. There were a lot of things I had never done before she said, oh, you should join the board. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot um, and just watching her. uh, So I have to, you know, I have to honor her in her working with being herself, that it was okay to be yourself 100% all the time. Um, being part of those groups, I learned that coming out, 
is a lifelong thing. You don't do it once and it stops. You're always mm-hmm. doing it. I also learned how to be brave about it, how to say it. Uh, marching with African ancestral, which is scary, right? And especially we, mm-hmm. the first time we marched in the African-American Day Parade in Harlem, there were folks who didn't want to march with us because they were afraid. But that's how I learned bravery, is you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it, we don't erase ourselves. The, the large, larger society wants to erase us and say we're not here. But if we show up, we continue to show up, it becomes harder to deny our existence. We're taught, you know, in, in one, one way talking about a Harlem that accepted us and another way a Harlem that didn't, so how, if, we, if we hide constantly, then it becomes easy for our community to say we don't exist. If we show up, then, that, then we give lie to that. And one of, my, one of my most amazing memories that still fills me with joy was marching down Fifth Avenue. The first part of Fifth Avenue is very white. The streets are wide. It's very white. It was fine. But when we got down to the village and we saw, and I saw all the um, black and brown folks on the side cheering because we were there, mm-hmm. and I realized that we, our marching, our visibility was there for folks who weren't there yet and may never be. So you don't march. You march for yourself, but more you march for your community. So the visibility that I take with me that I, when I stand up and I talk about my life and I don't make it a, a I don't stand up and, and with a fist raised and say, I'm a lesbian because I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to recruit anybody, but mm-hmm. you are going to know who I am. So if I talk about who I am and I talk about my wife, if you need to blink or walk away, that's on you. That's not on me. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. I was going to yeah, say that's yeah, a hard I, thing for people to do. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know it really is because, and it is something about that standing there, you know, you do it for yourself, but you also do it for the community. You do it for mm-hmm. that person who mm-hmm. is looking for that strength to do it. Uh, and not only for, for the for people who are doing it, but you do it for those, you know, people often talk about our straight allies. But, you know, when you stand up and you and your wife stand up, and you're there and you're living in it and living your truth, it helps that neighbor, that person mm-hmm. who might not be from our community, who then when they hear something, a misconception, hate speech, whatever, to say, hold up, wait mm-hmm. a minute, let me tell you. And, and I think that being, I often tell people to me, to being out and living authentically really can ultimately will help us all be more human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been in, I've been, and even with um, some of the groups that I'm in, uh, uh, and, you know, and being a, uh, um, being a coach and being on a team, the majority of the team is white, uh, white women. But mm-hmm. saying who I am, I found allies there that I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. It's always a risk, right? So this is always a risk. How are people going to feel? What are they going to do? But I can't, I'm not there to manage their feelings mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I have found allies. I have, you know, folks have been, have been sending me things and, like, uh, you know, I didn't know if I could say this publicly. You can say it publicly. It's fine. You know, and it's kind of like I've always felt like a teacher or an educator in some respect. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I think it, it, there's different ways to educate people. So, and I'm not going out of my way to say I'm going to educate white people or straight people. I've done mm-hmm. that, and it becomes, um, as we've all found, those things become tiring and strained and, and draining. Mm-hmm. But folks who, are willing to, folks who are willing to step up and say, this is what I'm doing and um, this is how I'm doing it, so you know you have an ally, is a whole different thing because then they go back to their community and have the conversation, as you were saying. I also found that when I, when I am authentic and I, and I stand in my truth <clears throat> and I walk in my truth, there are folks who aren't ready. Again, if folks who aren't ready will come over later and say, I can't believe you did that. You just did that, but I feel better now. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking them to do the same thing. They don't have to do it. They just needed to see someone do it to make it a little bit better for them. Um, mm. Just a little bit, even if it's just a little bit, you know, because don't, we don't know somebody's situation at home. Mm-hmm. And unless we're going to be with them 24-7, they have to make their own path. Yeah, there was quite a bit um, when I worked at Women in Need, um, housing women with, women in need housing women with children because they were groundbreaking when they started because uh, with, with one of their, uh, Casa Rita was their home for women um, uh, going through substance abuse withdrawal, had their children with them because they, the uh, original centers didn't allow folks to have, women to have their children or families to be together. But then they would go back to their communities and pick up again. This was about, your re- if the reason is your children, your children are in front of you. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are learning how to do this with an intact family or at least with your, with your children. And so that when you go out back out, you know how to do this with them there. And that became, it became important to me to know that there were uh, women out there who are struggling. We did not house women who were um, who had who were leaving abusive situations, and I learned about that that how important that was. So, and how long it really took for someone to leave an abusive situation. So, and mm-hmm. I say that because if somebody is um, queer or uh, anywhere along the spectrum and they're living in an abusive situation, it may take them a while. It probably will take them a while to be able to leave that situation, if ever, regardless of what it is. It could be a family member. It could be a roommate. But they, but they need the support and they, um, for um, being who they are, wherever they can be, because maybe they can't at home. We all know about, you know, children who have teenagers who, whether it's the Catholic school kids who go to school, who leave the house, dress one way and change when they mm-hmm. get out of the house, or our queer youth who leave the house one way and change when they get with their friends. We, we see it. Mm-hmm. You, you are trying to survive. So how do, you, how do you help people who are trying to survive? Sometimes all you can be is yourself. That's all they need to see to know that it's not hopeless. Not like that it gets better because it doesn't always get better for everyone mm-hmm. or we wouldn't have a high rate of suicide. But to be, to, to know that you've reached a certain point, and that's the whole thing about aging, as you were saying before, to reach a certain point, and then now you find yourself alone. Who are your friends? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you reconnect? Um, 
So I'm also grateful to the Brio Circle for providing that, but it's also it's still true that a lot of folks are alone. Uh, they've they've been out in particular ways. They've been out and proud and loud, and now they're by themselves, and they may be looking at a senior facility and have to go back in the closet, and it's very hard, very hard when you've been yourself and mm-hmm. to have to deal with the homophobia and the transphobia and the misogyny um, when you're starting to feel helpless. So, you know, and, mm-hmm. I had talked to um, Dr. Imani Woody, who's doing Mary's mm-hmm. House down in D.C., and one mm-hmm. of the things that she also talked about was how the importance of us to connect with each other as a community because she said mm-hmm. she knew some, she had heard of someone who lived in an LGBT elders building, but because we quit connecting with each other, you know, they had died and no one knew. No one went to check on them. And I often tell people, you know, like you said, it doesn't always get better. Families don't always work out. But mm-hmm. I am so thankful for my new family that I have found Mm. who I know will come and check in on me and doing that. But, you know, sometimes we get caught up in our busy lives and we forget that. And to bring back that, that, that importance of saying, you know, maybe mom and dad will never approve of you, but you've got a family that can love and care about you that found you. And, you know, and how do we stay connected with that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I, that's and I think that's the importance of of having intergenerational work, um, mm-hmm. and being in intergenerational communities. I know it's not easy. I know it's mm-hmm. not easy. Younger folks who have um, new language, newer language and terminology, and older folks who are like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, we were like this. And there, to be willing to listen to each other and hear each other and know that this is not. One, one group is not condemning the other. It's just different. It's mm-hmm. new. It's different. And to be willing to understand that. Um, because there, I found there are a lot of, um, I found when I was younger, there are a lot of elders who want to talk and want to share their experiences, who like nothing better. Nobody's listening to them, so they will talk. Yes, they will go on and on and on sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guilty of it. And, Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's because people have been in isolation. Um, how, so it's, it's, I think it's important to keep building this, to keep figuring out the ways that, that um, at least through community events, if there's a community event and like, let's say because um, Ojulod Project and Real Circle have done things together, it's not always been easy because people move differently and both organizations, they're not the same type of organization. Um, even though they, you know, they serve a similar community. But it's having the patience to work together because working, at, one of the things I believe is having the, the social aspect mm-hmm. is what starts that community building. So having that, ha- inviting people to, a, a, to events, seeing each other at events, and they start creating relationships, even small ones, and they start looking out for folks. Um, both organizations have built into their work um, some type of networking program to check on each other. What would that mean if, if they could do that across each other, right, to, mm-hmm. have, to bring younger folks to check on older folks and vice versa, that younger folks who feel 
who feel abandoned by their family to have new queer um, grandparents and aunties and uncles, you know, um, and the, the older folks to have new nieces and nephews and grandchildren, and then just learn the patience of listening to each other, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, of appreciating each other. And, and, and this is first, you learn firsthand what it was like, and it gives you a new appreciation of what you have. And it also helps, I think it also helps older folks know that progress really has been made. Sometimes when mm-hmm. you're, you're sitting in, in the same place, you think nothing has changed, but it has. And, and so, you know, what can, whatever I can do to help that along, I think that, so now it's, be, you know, beyond bold and brave, to make it as inter- intergenerational as possible for folks to have those conversations and dialogues and learn from each other, especially the folks who aren't activists, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who every day folks walking around, you know, that there are scholarships for, for, for elders, there are scholarships for young people, you know, that college students and get to sit alongside folks who, who never went to college and know that, nope, you're not so different, you know, mm-hmm. to understand um, even within our communities what does privilege mean? You know, what does access mean? You know, we talk about, you know, folks have talked about disability justice. What does that mean to an elder community? And what does that mean to a younger community? I think there are, there are so many um, issues impacting us. And, I mean, to find out housing in New York is impacting everybody on the ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah. In the, oh, in the yeah. same way. In the mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's absolutely true, and people in the middle. I'm not going to say it's not, but especially those who um, whose income is less secure. You right? know, and I had talked. I had talked ahead. to an elder who said, "I mean, and that was it. I mean, and and that the reality is, you know, you never anticipate yourself getting getting to a certain age." But she said, like, at one point in time, you know, everything was good, but you know, it wasn't in her mind that she was going to live to be this old, mm-hmm. and Things go up, and uh, and I've talked to uh, actually primarily lesbians. You know, we're going to have creating change here, and they had a meeting, and there, and I had talked to for queering racial justice, and I was walking around talking to people, and I had heard from particularly lesbians. Several of them said, you know, that that long-term financial insecurity, you know, because when we couldn't get married, or, or when maybe we didn't get the best mm-hmm. job, so we didn't have a, and it's like. That's a common thread, whether they were like from young people who are wondering where they're going to be able to get a job and seeing mm-hmm. gentrification making where it comes to elders who maybe were holding on to that house or condo but wondering, you know, taxes are going up and would their pensions be able to cover it? So, mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, there are things like you wouldn't think that it was something that they could all talk about, but it's a social economic justice. It's an mm-hmm. intergenerational issue that, you know, we need to have some place where we can come and talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, we're, you know, one of our goals with Beyond Bold and Brave is to be one of those spaces. Mm-hmm. As we move forward um, with the conferences and then actually um, creating an entity that can hold um, other types of meetings or symposiums to, be, to go deeper, because in a conference you can't go but so deep. But to be able to have other places to have uh, where there can be deeper conversations 
um, and panel presentations where folks can find out more information. This is um, that's broader. So I mean, even when we use the term lesbian, we're using that term with an asterisk because we're talking about um, any queer identified, uh, mm-hmm. woman identified person, um, uh, uh, black, brown, indigenous, you know, across that mm-hmm. we've created, um, to be able to have these conversations, to start talking with each other in, and provide the spaces for the conversations so folks can start talking. And it's not that people don't talk as individuals. But we don't, but I mean, and have be, being in New York for, for, you know, and doing this work for so long, African Accessual was one place that I knew the conversations happened. I, I am not, I don't know where intergenerational conversations are happening, on, you know, purposefully in that way. They may be, it may be a one-off, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. if you get together for Black Pride and have it. But again, where are these things ongoing? Where are the spaces? And then just not have the conversation. But what are the next steps? Figuring out what are the next steps? What can come out of this? Is there are organizations willing to work together if they can? Because we know our organizations, their capacity it can be maxed out. Um, is there something not to create more institutions? Because I don't actually don't believe in that either. Um, but to figure out ways that folks can come together for real, um, and not to look at we're trying to build a 501c3 so we can get funding to do this because then you can end up going down a particular path that takes you away from where you started. Not all the time, but sometimes. But how do we, and I think it's a good question. I also think that it, it's, it's a community answer. It's not an, mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. It's a community answer. And being willing to be in it while the questions get figured out and new questions are developed. I think we have, I actually I know we have younger folks who are doing all kinds of work in looking at how we do, how we work together. Um, um, folks I'm following on Facebook and um, especially Instagram um, mm-hmm. who are doing, Adrienne Marie Brown is a book mm-hmm. on emergent strategies. I mean, these are things, when I think about what she's pulling on, She's not pulling on new information, right? She's pulling in on stuff that has been written before, pulling on Octavia Butler, uh, one of my favorite Mm -hmm. authors, pulling on our collective imagination as people of color with things that have helped us survive all this time and how do we bring them forward and use them in this current climate. So I think this this um, this is where I hope some of the intergenerational work can start happening because it has to pull on memory work. It has to pull on what work. It has to. Mm-hmm. It has to. Because we didn't get here. We didn't survive by accident. We did. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you, you've done all this work. You went from being a board member to being an interim director. But in the process, you started focusing on investing in yourself and taking care of yourself. And I'm going to tell you, like, uh, you know, we talked, you know, about aging and stuff, but I know that, and, and it all makes you think, because I had a, a knee injury, and it took me longer to recover from than I thought, and there was a period of time where you really start to wonder about yourself, you know, you, you worry about your self-worth when you walk into a space, have people seeing you as, you know, you know, this crippled person, you know, will I be able to do mm. it, will I be able to take care of myself? Will I be able to do things? 
And one of the uh, – and you started working out and, and doing things and getting more into to talking about, you know, your body and taking care of it. What made you – did you see that as a natural progression or did you see this as something that – and all the time you put all these other things into the community that you let yourself – you hadn't served yourself well? So, yes. Yes and no. Uh-huh. Um, I've been, because I've always, I've had periods of times that I worked out uh-huh. and periods of times that I didn't it's because I've loved physical activity, but I am, I'm, I'm actually um, really shy and I'm an introvert. Uh-huh. I've learned how to, you know, put that to the side at times, but it's still true. So the, one of the ways I'm challenging myself that I've started to challenge myself is to post more on social media. Um, and when I started, even my sister said, why are you talking about yourself like that? Who do you think you are? And I was like, oh, see, now I have to. And I did feel mm-hmm. some kind of way, like, who do I think I am? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, so I did. And I've done these kind of workouts, uh, different kind of workouts. And I've gone to the gym, and I always did better at home because there was nobody there, right? I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. joining the group. And so, um, and, and I've, the, it, dealing with my weight and my health, um, it's always been back and forth. I've done one, all these different, you know, what is it? There was the three-day diets, at this diet, all the diets mm-hmm. before we, before we did things online, we passed around pieces of paper. I, there wasn't an office that didn't have these things passed around, right, making copies and sending them out. And they all worked for a minute until they didn't, right? Um, I did Weight Watches, which worked until it didn't. So everything worked until it didn't. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, what I started realizing is that working out was a, there was definitely a a physiological um, benefit, but there was also a mental benefit because it had, it placed me very present focused. Um, I started doing yoga and that's when I realized how present focused movement can be. Um, it's hard when you're walking outside, when you're working out outside or with people around mm-hmm. because you have to be conscious of them. It was easier for me at home. And so and then I started lifting weights. And when I started this, I was, I was buying magazines, looking at things. Um, years ago, I thought I might get into bodybuilding, but I couldn't mm-hmm. bear the thought of having some man be a trainer, and I was going to give up my life to whatever this man said. It was just like, I can't do that. So that was out. Um, it felt too controlling uh, for me. And so it, uh, long story short, is it was meditation in movement for me. Mm-hmm. Not the kind of meditation where you just sit. There was meditation in Focusing on what's happening right now, how your body is moving, what it's feeling, really paying attention to how you feel physically, which meant you could not think about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't think about what's going to happen in the next minute. Having everything written down and planned out so I know what the next move is without having to think about it. What I like about using online workouts is I don't even have to do that. It's taken care of for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm still paying attention to keep myself safe. Now, I have injured myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my knees, when I have, I'm blessed that it's just torn meniscus and not anything else so far. 
Mm-hmm. But um, where I had worked out so hard that even the, um, the doctor thought that I had been an athlete at some point, and I'm like, no, I just worked out a lot. Hmm. So um, I was always off and on because mm-hmm. I I was concerned. What my mother's mother had arthritis, and it would absolutely impact her movements. And so I was like, oh, I have to keep moving because I want to be able to move as I get older. And growing up, getting older meant what I saw, my mother notwithstanding, because she changed that for me, mm-hmm. was it meant moving slower, having aches and pains, not being as healthy, being on medication. My father became a diabetic. His father was a diabetic. Um, his mother had adult onset um, leukemia, both my, my mother's parents uh, uh, both succumbed to cancer. So all of this was around me, like cancer and the mood. And I think something clicked at me at some point that um, I want to do something differently. My mother mm-hmm. also was very much, as we were growing up, at one point shifted and to this is how we eat healthy. Um, she started mm-hmm. working out in the apartment. She didn't go outside. She would just walk around the apartment. Um, I think mm-hmm. after she had a hysterectomy and she had to move more, she... And she went to work, but then she was like, she got up every morning, and she walked through. We had a, an apartment. We were lucky enough to have a large enough apartment for her to be able to walk mm-hmm. around. And that's when I realized, oh, I can work at it at home and started doing that. Um, but it became even more, after menopause, it became even more important. My cholesterol went up. I am pre, um, pre-diabetic. And there's only one way for me to change that. Well, the cholesterol may never change. My mother is tiny. And her cholesterol mm-hmm. is high. So, you know, so it's not about that, right? It's not about size mm-hmm. or that. Mm-hmm. It is about, um, that's hereditary. That may never change. Mm-hmm. But the pre-diabetes, I can change. Mm-hmm. And well, we're going to, can we take a, well, I want to take mm-hmm. a second break right quick. But then I want to, you know, because there's things about our community, too, that deal with health. And, and I mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit more about it. So we'll be right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. here talking with Kim Ford. You know, Kim, you know, I know what you mean because, you know, I, I sit back and sometimes I'm amazed, like, you know, in 2014, like I ran a marathon and now I'm like, you know, ah. but sometimes, you know, it, it as you, particularly as you work with uh, like Griot Circle and you're going, you're seeing um, elders and I know you said that you're not outside doing it and you're, you're, you come inside. How do we as a community Think about health. I mean, I, 
that's one of the beauties of having, you know, this online and this Facebook that I can see people who I identify with and go like, hey, you know, Kim's, Kim's working out at home. She's trying this, and I try some of the things that you talk about. But is that another thing that, that like, through our community, because often, you know, healthcare, we've got so many things going on, that sometimes our health and our diet, like, we put on the back burner because sometimes we're just trying to stay alive from day to day to have a job. How do we, how has you, have you worked this into your activism? Well, one of the things, once I realized that movement was a stress reducer, I, um, oh, and I want to talk about mental health uh, at the same time because mm-hmm. um, I have depression. I've had depression since I, when I realized how long that I'd, I may have always had it. Um, I didn't know how to handle it. And movement actually helped. I mean, you know, so there are things that I like. It's really strenuous because of um, exercise because it helps the endorphins. And it keeps me in a good mood. When I realized the connection that it actually helped my depression, it it meant it was that much more important, right? I get um, we have two great days. I'm gonna have to really mm-hmm. work out so, so I don't go into a depression because I am impacted in this way, and this is real. And the physical movement, the activity, whatever it is, it doesn't. I feel I found that it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be. It can be as simple as walking around your apartment or your space or walking in place. It doesn't have to be strenuous. You put on something that makes you happy, some music that makes you happy, or a TV show that you don't have to pay attention to, Ratchet TV, I don't care what it is. And you walk in place. Because you need something that's going to entertain you. Mm-hmm. And, and, make the t- and help the time go by so you're not thinking about how many minutes are left. That's real. Um, mm-hmm. And I started with moving furniture back and walking, walking back and forth in my living room with my sneakers on, with my sneakers on because that was important to set it up that way, right? Workout clothes, sneakers, whatever that is for you, and walk back and forth, whether it's music on headphones if you're worried because we have to be careful about where we're walking and how we're walking, then put if if um, you can find something like I don't care what it is if you do it during the day if it's a talk show whatever it is um, a podcast whatever it is that's going to take your mind off what you're doing but you're going to do it you will feel better if you do ten minutes fifteen minutes it doesn't have to be long you just have to start moving or marching in place which sounds repetitive I learned to squeeze it in when I'm brushing my teeth. <laughs> It sounds weird. It sounds weird. I didn't think about it. I was watching the Mary Jane, and there she is brushing her teeth and doing lunges, squat lunges around the house. And I was like, oh, I do that. I don't walk around the house. I go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. But I absolutely do. I will do leg lifts. I will do squats. I'll dance around, have some music on. It's only a few minutes, but it's something. If I'm cooking, I put music on, and I dance around. You know, so there are ways that we can get in movement in, in happy and joyous ways so it doesn't feel like exercise. It doesn't have to be a block. I think the hardest part, one of the things you brought up, is the food insecurity part. When, um, uh, and I'm, you know, I am a coach and I use products and I know they, they, can, be, they can be costly and expensive. Um, mm-hmm. So I talk about it. It's an investment in me. I know everybody can't do it. 
but we have to figure out, it's figuring out the ways that you can invest in yourself, especially if you're not used to putting yourself first. I think that's the hardest part. So that's one of the things that I hope to let people know is taking that few minutes for yourself is okay. There's nothing to feel guilty about because that's, that few minutes for you allows you to do more for others. It's refilling your own well. That's important. I learned that in community as an activist. You have to mm-hmm. refill your own well in whatever way you can. If you can find a meditation circle, if you can find a, a fitness circle, whatever it is, hopefully free, that you can um, be a part of. I'm trying to come up with a name to do something, a free group for folks to just be a part of where I will put together, you know, suggestions, tips, ideas, and hopefully we can help each other with what we do to stay healthy and active um, so that it's not about having to buy stuff. Um, I have to come up, I'm trying to think of a name that makes sense. I don't want to just mm-hmm. have it be about the holidays. It can be, but mm-hmm. I don't want to disconnect it to that. But I want something for folks to be able to come to um, and find the resources. The food is the next part of my journey is to, I've done it at different times, but to really be intentional about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Uh, what does that mean to when you live in a neighborhood, because I'm in the Bronx, I'm in New York, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean some supermarkets are here, but it doesn't mean I can always find what I want. You know, there's still about am I going to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, which I'd rather I want the stuff in my neighborhood. But I've also kind of eased up on that, right? Like, okay, so let's not be so precious about this. <laughs> be real about what you can get. That's affordable. Uh, farmer's market. We have a farmer's market in my neighborhood. It's all it's done now. It's only part of the year. I wish it was longer because that's where the food has been the most inexpensive for me to buy fresh, mm-hmm. um, fresh food. So, um, and I know folks who are vegetarian and vegan, especially on Instagram, are showing what they're doing. So I want to start doing that, showing how we can eat healthy, um, figuring out how to do it on a budget, what makes the most sense for us. Um, that's also part of it. And I want to say, how did I get there? I don't know. I just naturally, it feels like, but I think on my own journey and meeting mm-hmm. folks, being, also being a spiritual person. And, and um, so it's been part of my journey as, also as a spiritual person is what do I put in my body? How do I take care of my body? Um, and a leaving, making room for the times so we have our holiday gathering that it's okay to have mac and cheese and ribs and fried chicken I'm not saying no to it, but um, what else can we do? What, what else is there for us to do that, that helps us take care of ourselves? Um, you know yes. what, what, I, what I really like that, that you say on your webpage, you say, each of us moves along our own unique journeys and paths filled with dreams and visions of the lives we want to live and how you help those help you along those paths as you uncover and recognize your individual talents, gifts, and abilities. It's not like you saying, "Hey, this is the Kim way. This is going to do it." You re- your your recognition and acknowledgement that you know each of us is unique and how you mm-hmm. help us. You know, I I mean, I thought when I read that, I said, "That is, you know." I'm not looking for someone to tell me, okay, you go do this, that, and the other. I know that some of it has been here with me. Maybe you, I need someone to help me 
focus back on what I know that's deep down in me. And it sounds like that's part of what you're doing. It is part of what I'm doing. And I was, and I was um, doing that kind of coaching because I didn't want to call it – it's not so much life coaching in that very typical – because, I, you know, working with life coaches, they want to tell you what to do, right? And I just want you mm-hmm. to know you to figure out deep down because there is something deep down and part of my healing um, and still ongoing healing is reaching that little girl all the way down, deep down, that, that, that is holding on to the trauma, right? How to release that trauma. Um, but not in a way, not as a, um, as a counselor or a therapist would. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is post-counseling and therapy and, um, because that's not what I do, but that you're ready to take that next step to invite that little girl um, into the world to, to rekindle that, that, that childhood curiosity and willing to explore and to learn and grow, uh, and, you know, that, um, and that joy that lives, that lives there, that lives within us. Mm-hmm. And that's really important to me. I think joy has been some, uh, a huge word for me this past year and being able to find it um, everywhere, anywhere, because it's there regardless of our circumstances. You may, it may be a little quick spark and disappear, but it's being able to recognize it and hold on to it and encourage it to grow um, so that it, it, it can help sustain you and let you know that, that there is hope, even that even the situation that feels hopeless. Um, because you can't do activism without hope. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's what's at the, you know, like, there's hope for a better world. There's hope for more. That's the whole point of, of being an activist. If you don't believe that things can change, then why would you do this? So it's, mm-hmm. all, it's all part of it. I don't see it as separate. Um, so it's much more holistic in doing all of this. So, and one of the things is in that I love seeing, and I think it's always been there, but it's more for the forefront when I'm seeing with young activists of color, is bringing that spirituality as part of the activism. It's saying, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we feed ourselves? How do we move our bodies? How do we love ourselves as we are? I think that's another part is that once you know that where you are is fine, like, like my knees, I would love to jump a lot more. I can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the reality. I have to, and I've accepted it. So I'm not going to jump. It's just, what do I want? So, um, oh, I knew there was one other thing that. So I'm doing uh, one more class. I have a test on Monday night for this um, parts department program called Shape Up NYC. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've been taking a free course to be a group fitness trainer, a group fitness instructor. And there's one more class on Monday, and then I start an internship in my neighborhood, which I'm really excited about because it's in my neighborhood, in January. So it's an internship, uh, six months, one class a week. Um, and so that will be happening at um, starting January 16th at the Bronx Works Classic Center. Um, I forgot the address on Melrose. I'm sorry, Morris Avenue um, in my neighborhood on Wednesdays at 7. Uh, it's going to be cardio kickboxing, but I can't jump. So <laughs> it can't be. It doesn't mean low intensity. It means more lower impact. Um, mm-hmm. I can show you a couple of moves. If you want to jump, you can. If, you, if not, I will show people how to keep it, keep your feet on the ground because it can mm-hmm. work. Uh, I think um, I'm excited about it because then at the end I'll be a certified 
group fitness instructor. And mm-hmm. then my next thing, and then I can uh, start teaching um, in other places and be able to bring this. Uh, I got certified through Beachbody to be a turbo kick live instructor. So all of this wow. is about, it's still about working on myself. I do this for me mm-hmm. because the learning doesn't stop. There's always something mm-hmm. next, right? Finding out what mm-hmm. it is. Being this interim um, executive director was great, but I also realized I need to make this change. This is where I'm moving. It took this mm-hmm. last toe dip, I guess, of being pulled back in to say, mm-hmm. no, this is really where I need to be. This is my next calling. You know, oh. this, is, this is my new purpose. It's still helping my community, but it's doing it differently. And I hope one day to be able to take, mm-hmm. to learn more um, and be able to, to teach more and help folks who feel like um, they can't move to start moving. Yeah, I guess that, yeah, because it, it really is. It's sort of like you have to, you know, to keep moving. You know, I often tell people that my grandmother, even, you know, up into her 80s and 90s, like they would be like, you know, they come home and she would have walked down the block and, and my, I remember my aunt saying, like, why don't you just sit here? And she was like, no, you know, I'm, I'm keeping it moving. <laughs> and so that's, like, so important, you know, that, that you do. So I have to ask, okay, mm-hmm. you've, got a, uh, you've got a wife. What did she think when you said, you know, and now I'm going to get certified and I'm doing beach body and I'm going to do that? <laughs> Does, you know, do, do you engage her in, in it or did she, does she say, okay, you know, I'm going to watch you work out. Sometimes she watches me work, uh, work <laughs> out. Um, but I, her journey is her journey. Don't think that wasn't a struggle for me in the beginning to try and, like, you need to do this with me. And blah, blah, blah. I did. And then I had to – I was in therapy, thank goodness, because I had to, like, back off. You can't make people do it, even the people you love the most, the people mm-hmm. closest to you. Their journeys are their journeys. And me um, um, going through training as a coach, even as a trans, uh, transformational coach, learned even more about, because I've always listened to people. People have always come to me and we've always talked things through. Um, and they say, no, I'm not a counselor, so you need to talk to your counselor. Or they say, oh, that's what my therapist said. So, yeah, so <laughs> coaching was the next natural mm-hmm. step for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to let go, because we're the hardest on the people closest to us to mm-hmm. let go and let them be and let them mm-hmm. figure it out. They either will or they won't, but it's their journey. So her mm-hmm. journey is hers. I can be here to support her whatever she wants to do, you know, mm-hmm. but I can't. I'm not here to make her. So she will, she watches. She mm-hmm. was excited about this. She was happy for me. Um, she's always been supportive. I think, I, again, blessed, lucky, however you want to say it. She's been, always been supportive. I mean, I'm into, I'm going to say unconditionally. There's always conditions, but for the most part, mm-hmm. no, there aren't, there really aren't any conditions. It's just typical stuff, but yes, she has, it's been unconditional support. Um, I have to say that um, a large, I owe so much to her for her believing in me doing this. You know, That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I am... Yeah, I know how blessed I am. Mm-hmm. I do know. And we're 20 years apart. 
Yeah, we're 20 years right. apart. That's a whole other story because she came right, she came uh-huh. after me. Everybody thinks I went after her. I'm like, no, I was trying to say stay away because you're too young. Like, nope. <laughs> nope. And we've been together um, 20 years. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Kim, I want to thank you for spending this time with me this morning. I mean, like I said, you know, and I thank you for all the service that you've given to the community over all the years, and I look forward to to seeing what you do. I get to the Bronx. I have I have family in the Bronx, and so you know, I I can't I can't jump either. But I might come to one of those classes just to just to get some pointers, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to, you got to figure it out, right? For those of you, us, you got to figure anymore. it out, mm-hmm. you know. Because that's what I said, you know, yeah, because someone said, oh, would you ever run? No, I would never run another marathon. I can't do that. But I can walk, <laughs> you know. I can get up there and walk. But, Kim, I want to exactly. thank you again. Um, and I'm going to make it a point to contact you next time I'm in the Bronx and maybe we can have a, a cup of tea. How's yes. that? Yes, perfect, mm-hmm. perfect. Thank you again uh, for this. I, I enjoyed this. I really did. Thank you. Okay. Well, look, you have a, a great rest of your day. And... Love those kitties. I'm a kitty mom, too, so love those kitties. All right? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, New York-based consultant and activist Kim Ford. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of air intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.